Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, January 1st, 2022, and this is the weekly market update. So happy new year for everyone. This is the first uh, weekly market update for 2022. Pretty exciting stuff. Uh, just wanted to go over a couple of things before I get started. First of all, uh, I mean, the channel has really been growing uh, slowly but surely over time. I'm kind of encouraged by some of the comments I get in the comment section that they think that this uh, channel's underfollowed, it needs more exposure. But as I've said before, this, this type of commentary, this type of analysis is not for everyone. Um, it's not full of fluff. It's not um, full of pumping. And that seems to be a lot of what goes on on the internet, especially on YouTube. I see other channels. They don't, you know, some of the stuff, we keep talking about the same stuff over and over every week, but that's where the opportunity is. I don't try to jump around and just chase shiny objects, whatever's hot this week or this month. Um, and that's what you see a lot with so-called, um, or a lot of the YouTube um, financial discussion. Uh, there are a lot of good channels. Um, I don't have a lot of time to follow a lot of them, but I, I do watch occasionally. Uh, some of the channels are very informative. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm content with what is happening here. The growth continues. Um, that's because of you all, this loyal audience we have. It's growing over time. And like I said, people seem to think this is uh, good information. They get value from it. Obviously, I do the YouTube channel as a lead into my newsletter subscriptions. Uh, you know, I publish the Actionable Intelligence Alert newsletter. And uh, the portfolio there did fairly well this year. Um, it was up close to 60%. At one time before the November, December pullback, early December pullback in commodities and resource stocks, we were uh, substantially higher than that. But, you know, we still have a pretty good return. And we have, you know, in the, in the portfolio, we're not just concentrated in resource stocks. We are in undervalued companies. And, you know, for example, one of the companies I invested in is a long-term investment that is a company that is focused on a emerging market in the outskirts of Europe, which the, the economy there has, has been liberalized by the government and has consistently grown at five to 6% a year. Of course, it got shellacked during the um, uh, pandemic, if you will. And we were able to purchase the shares at substantially discounted uh, you know, to the to the net asset value of the company. And as the pandemic has receded, as the economy in this particular country has recovered, the net asset value has tremendously recovered. And the shares are still selling for like 50% less than that as net asset value. It's a classic case of buying a dollar for 50 cents. And so in a situation like that, you just buy and hold on because the value is so compelling that it will take care of itself. And of course, the management of the company is doing the right things, buying back shares. Um, they just made a major asset sale uh, of one of their businesses, which they will use to lower debt and buy back shares. These are the type of things that create wealth. And these are the type of things that I look for. It's not just energy or resources. Um, that's obviously a, a big value area of the market now. That's why we're involved in it. But uh, there, there's a lot of compelling values in, in a lot of things. And we are always seeking those out. 
And as the markets evolve, eventually energy will become overvalued and we will gravitate, we will um, rotate into other, um, you know, places where the value is more compelling. So these things are cyclical. Uh, they go through cycles. A lot of people that are coming on board now are just learning the message, seeing what's going on. But a lot of the stocks and the resource markets, specifically in uranium, have moved quite a bit. So, you know, I talk about that in this month's newsletter, the actionable intelligence alert newsletter uh, about, you know, where we are in some of these cycles and what are the compelling values. You know, I'm seeing a lot of value in oil field services now, and I'll talk about that in this uh, in some of the slides here. But I just want to thank everybody for the support. Um, I'm hoping the goal for this year is to crack 10,000 subscribers on this channel. That would be great. Uh, like I said, we're at 8,000. We're growing at about 250 to 300 subscribers a month. So um, that should get us over 10,000 by the end of the year. But uh, hopefully... Uh, if you're not a subscriber, uh, feel free to do that. It helps out a lot. The comments have always been good. Um, we haven't got as many drive-by uh, commenters lately, but uh, it's the same group of uh, you know intelligent people making good comments, and so we appreciate that. Again, uh, thanks for the support and looking forward to a healthy and happy, profitable 2022. All right, let's get started. So... As always, anything you hear or see on this video or here in the podcast is not investment advice. Um, obviously, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a private citizen. I'm just a guy on the internet giving my views. Um, don't take every, anything that I say as advice. Uh, you should you know, consult a financial advisor. And specifically, you should really do your own due diligence. Um, it's your money. It's your responsibility. Okay, so I think this right here, this title of the slide is OPEC Plus continues to miss production targets. And I think this is going to be an emerging theme for 2022. It's going to be one of the major themes in the oil market, if not the major theme. And I think what is going to occur is the realization that OPEC Plus cannot increase production like people are assuming it can. And therefore, I think that we're going to be in a situation where as supply or as demand recovers, um, for oil, which it is, this particular variant now is now going endemic, if you will. The pandemic is going from pandemic to endemic, and this particular variant will become part of the rotating, you know, hundred plus, two hundred plus of the you know respiratory upper respiratory tract uh, flu and colds that happen every year. As that realization continues to set in, you know, economic growth will uh, re recover. Things will open up. You're already seeing backpedaling by governments, uh, not just in the US, but the UK, all over the world. Um, and you're going to see oil consumption um, resume, uh, resume. And like I said before, I, I think I talked about it in the forecast video. I did a forecast video. I put it out on Thursday. You might want to check that out. Um, but I talked about specifically about oil in that in uh, energy and, uh, you know, this is going to be a major theme. I think the realization is going to set in in the market that OPEC plus cannot meet its targets. And that is going to, I believe, cause a, um, well, we're going to see oil prices go up. So um, JP Morgan is out there saying, uh, several of the banks are out there saying over $100 a barrel. I think it's, you know, I'm trying to stay conservative. I think we probably will see $100 a barrel. I'm looking at more of the second half of 2022. 
Um, JP Morgan saying 150, $150 a barrel in 2022. Um, I actually think, you know, the high energy costs are the things that are going to regulate the economy going forward. Interest rates, we're not going to see the Fed raising interest rates. They can't. The indebtedness is too high. I think energy markets are going to be the thing. The energy prices are going to be the thing that eventually tanks the economy. But for our purposes and for where we're positioned, um, $100 a barrel, you know, even at these, like I've said before, I even said it in the forecast issue, at these current oil prices, the companies that we are involved with are basically ATMs. They are spitting out cash. And you're going to see uh, after these Q4 and year-end results come in with average prices well over $70 a barrel for the quarter, you're going to see tremendous uh, earnings. You're going to see announcements of share buybacks and dividend increases. This is going to bring back the generalist investor to uh, to oil and gas uh, stocks. So uh, oil exploration, you know, tremendous value. A lot of these stocks are still trading, you know, at levels where oil you know, as if oil was at $50 a barrel. They're completely mispriced. But uh, anyways, to get back to what I think is going to be a major theme for this year, um, with OPEC reportedly delivering 195,000 barrels a day of production growth in December versus the 400,000 barrel plan per day, analysts and consumers are likely becoming concerned the cartel will be unable to meet its 5.8 million barrel per day capacity addition target in 2022. Yes, that's, uh, that is now becoming a realization or a possibility that's becoming more and more clear. The cartel should have added 1.6 million barrels per day of supply between July and November. Uh, that would have been 400,000 barrels a day monthly versus the 1 million barrels a day actually added to the market. So they're 600,000 barrels a day short, and that's why inventories are going down around the world. Rolling in the reported December figures, OPEC Plus has added 1.2 million barrels of supply versus a target of 2 million barrels a day of production. So basically, the forecast was going to get them by the end of 2021 to 2 million barrels per day of increased production, and yet they've only been able to achieve 1.2 million barrels. Now, why is that? Is that a conspiracy? Or you know, what's the most likely reason why they have not been able to achieve their production targets. Well, the underinvestment that's went on, not just uh, in the in the you know free market, if you will, or the the uh, non OPEC areas, but in OPEC itself, these places got completely squeezed. Uh, they're national oil companies for the most part. Their countries are basically relying on the revenue from the oil uh, business in these countries to provide social welfare benefits. And they're not going to spend money on production when oil was at $20, $30 a barrel or when it was negative, if you remember when that was happening. So uh, as we've said many, many times, oil production is a mineral extraction business. And if you don't invest money in new production and new reserves, you eventually go out of business. And so this is what we're seeing here. Uh, we're seeing uh, them unable to meet their goals. With OPEC not wanting to be held responsible for higher oil prices, as evidenced by their hiking production in the face of the new variant, let's put it that way, earlier this month, it would be reasonable to assume the organization will still announce 400,000 barrels per day target increase for February production at next week's meeting. Well, what we've seen, though, is that they're unable to meet. They can keep announcing this, but, you know, at some point, people are going to say, you're not meeting your, uh, your, your, your increase goals. So if in fact, you know, we're seeing 
the draws continue in inventories and we're not seeing the the replenishment of these inventories and now we're getting into areas where we're at five year we're below the five-year average all across and all over the world and now we're coming into an, a situation where um, as this pandemic recedes and uh, like we say energy demand increases you know as we said before we're already at pre-pandemic levels. We've already exceeded pre-pandemic levels for oil consumption in China and India. And as we'll show, you know, we're at the highest levels of oil consumption um, in the last five years or ever, I think, in the U.S. Uh, for this time of year. So um, it's very bullish, the outlook. I don't want to become over bullish because, you know, anything can happen. But, you know, right now everything's setting up really good for a, a positive 2022 for the oil markets. Okay, here we go. U.S. commercial inventories started the year, that was last year, uh, 2021, above the five-year average, as you can see. Here's 2021. Um, whoops. This is the band of the averages. Uh, and we started above the five-year average, and we are well below, and we're well outside the band. And we are not trending up, folks. We're trending down. Okay, this is why, uh, and we've drawn the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve has been drawn down. Remember when China, uh, I think late in the summer, it was around August of last year, when they were putting oil and copper and stuff into the markets, remember that to control commodity prices, we took a big hit uh, on a lot of our stocks then because things pulled back. But now, you know, as things, you know, that was a gamble, that was a ploy, if you will, to try to manipulate and control prices, but you can't do that. The bottom line is the underinvestment and lack of supply is now catching up with the market. So uh, this, is, uh, this is very interesting. So here's the chart. This uh, comes off Seeking Alpha HFIR on uh, Seeking Alpha. Tremendous, uh, lots of charts, give credit to him or her, whoever it is, I'm not sure if it's a him or a her. But anyways, um, US demand hit an all-time seasonal record. Here's the 2021. This is an all-time seasonal record for this time of year for uh, US products supplied of petroleum products. That's all petroleum products included. So what does that tell you? I mean, um, we're, we're not even in real big cold snaps yet. Um, energy demand, for petroleum products is at record levels for this time of year. It's, uh, this is amazing. So not sure if this is going to change, but uh, this is again, positive for prices. That's why prices are staying close to $80 a barrel or near $80 a barrel Brent. We're about 76, 77 WTI. Uh, this is uh, really looking good for 2022. Um, here's another chart. So, you know, if we use conserve, you know, let's just say we plus or minus, you know, wherever we're at one or 2 million barrels, I don't know exactly where we're at. We're around a hundred million barrels a day of oil demand. And so that means we're, you know, using around 33, 36 billion barrels a year. So let's call it 36, 35 billion barrels a year of oil in the world. And you can see we're not discovering 35 or 30 billion barrels a year of production or of new reserves. This is the problem. So, you know, you go back to 2015, 20 billion barrels were found of oil equivalent. Um, you know, 2016, less than 10, 2017, around 12, 2018, around 10, 
2019, you know, a little bit over 15. So for the last five, six years, you know, look at last year, you know, less than 5 billion barrels found, but you're using 33, 34, 35 billion barrels a year. You're not replenishing the oil or the petroleum products that you are using. Okay. This is a problem. And uh, this is going, this is why we're going to have an energy. This is why we're having an energy crisis simply has not been enough investment. The investment gap is so large now that it's inevitable we're going to have this energy crisis. This is the investment theme for the next couple of years, in my view, at least till energy prices get to a level like we've seen in Europe. You know, Europe already is in an energy crisis. You saw what has happened. You, you are going to see what's going to happen in many places. When energy prices, I mean, when natural gas got to a level that was equivalent on an energy equivalency of $250 a barrel oil, because basically it's 6,000 cubic feet of, uh, of uh, natural gas equals the same energy equivalent roughly of oil. So you can make some kind of comparison. Uh, but when you get to 200, $250 equivalent, energy equivalent for natural gas, what started happening, okay? Industry started shutting down, fertilizer plants shutting down, smelting plants, metal smelting plants shutting down, okay? Um, and we'll talk about that, that continues, right? Um, so that is what you have. And then that spills over into other things because now you have a shortage of those materials. Okay. Those materials are not uh, available. So this is why I'm not sure inflation is transitory. Uh, energy, as we've said, since I've had this channel, you know, this isn't just about making money. This is about teaching people about reality and this, this, this notion that you can, that we're going to be able to get away from, from, the sunk cost and the way that we have inculcated particular forms of energy into our economy over the last 50, 100 years, and then be able to do that in five or 10 years is ridiculous. That is the theme that is incorrect, and we must bet against it. That is how wealth is created. And this right here should tell you why this isn't going to be a one-off phenomenon. We simply have not made the necessary investments to find the requisite amount of hydrocarbons that are required to run the world. And not, don't forget this, folks, and I mentioned this in the year end uh, and the forecast issue. It's not just increasing demand, incremental demand of a million to a million and a half barrels a day uh, of increased demand because of the emerging markets. It's also having to replenish the 6 million barrels that you know Exxon forecast, which is worldwide decline. So you're having to add 7 million barrels a day of new production every year just to meet the increased demand and cover the depletion. This certainly is not happening. So uh, we're heading, we're cruising for a bruise in here. But for people that are, are educated, people that understand what's happening, you know, we cannot change policy. That's not, you know, with 8,000 subscribers, nobody's listening to me. Nobody cares what I say. Uh, so our, our, our job and our role uh, is to invest capital uh, to get a return so that we can take care of our family. So we can overcome, you know, these things that are, that, uh, are not imposed by us. You know, we have an obligation and the more, the more, you know, money that we make, the more opportunity we have to help more people. That's how I look at this. So we are starting to see a beginning of an increase in spending. Obviously, Here's the last, uh, you can see 2020 during the uh, pandemic, uh, basically depression. I mean, spending for new uh, upstream CapEx 
was down 27%. Uh, it's being forecasted by JP Morgan that spending for new production and reserves was up 9% last year and is forecasted to grow 13% this year. So this is one of the themes that I'm big on. If you go look at the, uh, uh, the forecast issue, I uh, had this chart in there also. Um, oil field services seem to be a very compelling uh, investment or speculation at this point. They're very, they have not moved like the oil stocks have. What's interesting is, is that you see this uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda chart over here. Basically you have CapEx over here, you have the oil price. This is where CapEx is for the current oil price. The forecast by JP Morgan says that, you know, it's, there's a 70% gap to implied historical CapEx response at, uh, at $88 a barrel. So um, we're well below where we have been in the past for spending for new reserves and production based on the current oil price. It's just another data point showing that we're not spending enough money and we're living off the fruits of previous, previous investments. It's the same thing in uranium. It's just across the board, basically in all of the resources at, to various resource uh, sectors. Copper is the same way. Simply have not spent enough money on, um, on new exploration. So we talked about this. I just talked about it. This is uh, basically last year. This is all of 2021. So you, the XLE is basically a ETF or a um, for oil and gas exploration production companies. You can see for the year it was up 53%. So if you just would have bought the ETF, you would have been up 53%. OIH is the oil field services um, ETF. And you can see it was only up 22%, right? So uh, I think based on what I've just shown you, this is this is an opportunity, right? To play catch up at least. And I think that uh, over the next couple of years, oil field services will, as the spending has to come back, uh, as the price of oil goes up, uh, the spending will naturally gravitate. You know, the problem is, is that this is really going to be exacerbated and drawn out because of the ESG uh, mandates and the banks pulling back now. They're being told, especially like in Europe, it's bleeding over to the U.S., where a lot of banks are now saying because of their ESG mandates, they cannot loan money to hydrocarbon industries or businesses that are involved in the extraction of oil and gas. That, to my mind, will limit the drill baby drill mindset um, that was so prevalent just a few years ago when they had unlimited capital. So a lot of the companies are going to be restricted to cash flow or for their development and increasing in production or turning to, you know, family offices or something like this or doing, you know, private placements. I don't know how, where they're going to get the capital. What I do know is it will not be of a sufficient amount to allow for probably the necessary um, investment to cure the problem. So uh, I, I do think that the cycle will be more violent to the upside and probably drawn out uh, because of the lack of investment. It's not going to get cured in a year. You know, you can't just snap your fingers or flip a switch and create more oil wells. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into this. And, you know, the, the problem is, is that as I'll show also, the cost to do all this is going through the roof too, just like costs everywhere. So it's not going to be an easy fix. And so this is the Dallas Fed's index of input costs for oil services companies. It's at a record high so I just talked about labor is up is short, you know, pipe, drill pipe. I think uh, 
Tenaris, which is one of the biggest drill pipe providers, has already sold out for this year, and I think half of next year already sold out their production. So even if you want to get going, you may not be able to get the men and materials to do what you want to do. And this causes prices to go up. This is another reason why I think that, uh, you know, this is going to be bullish for oil field services companies. You know, the other thing that people have to realize is, is having gone through one of the largest or worst uh, oil field depressions of all time, if not the worst, you know, a lot of the marginal players, a lot of weak sisters are out of the business. So the remaining companies, when the spending does come back, as we shown from the JP Morgan chart earlier, uh, as spending does start to increase, it's going to be spread across less players. So, you know, this is, this is going to be a problem too. This is going to be another hindrance to a fast, quick response to fixing these problems. Okay, here's a chart why I think that, you know, regardless of what people think, um, you know, these things, these things are cyclical, okay? But look at the relentless increase in demand for energy. This is per capita oil consumption, basically uh, converted to kilowatt hours. And this is the world average right here, say it's 7,000 kilowatt hours. That's across the entire world. And look at where China is. China is below the world average. I did not think that that was, you know, I did not know that. I thought they would at least be slightly above the world average. But the China, you can see it's basically on a 45 degree angle upwards to the right. This is going to put upward. This is why they're building 150 reactors. This is why they're building all the coal plants. This is why they're building renewables. They have an insatiable appetite for energy. And look at this down here. Look at India. Um, India is basically where China was 20 years ago. Okay. Um, so you have this unending, constant upward pressure on demand. Okay. That's why when I talk about oil consumption having to go up a million to a million and a half barrels a day uh, every year is because of these two countries. And, you, you know, let's not, you know, the same thing applies to Indonesia, you know, it has 250 million people. The Philippines, I think they have like 80 million people. Bangladesh, I mean, you can go down the list of all these emerging markets. Africa, which has a billion people, which is like probably, you know, down here somewhere, right? We talked about that the other day in one of the, uh, in one of the slides where we show that the majority of African nations, well, all of the African nations, with the exception probably of South Africa, I mean, the per capita usage of energy is less than the average refrigerator in the US. So basically, the average American's refrigerator uses more energy than, than every country in per capita in Africa. The average African uses substantially less than your refrigerator uses. So that this constant demand push is there, okay? And the supply response is not gonna be there. That's why we're gonna have, that's why energy is gonna flourish, I think, in the next several years, probably this entire decade. So, you know, this crisis is not one off. This is what we're gonna continue to see. Uh, Doomberg, you should follow this person on their Substack and on Twitter, very, uh, very good stuff. They have some very good articles that are very eye-opening. Um, they think that, the failure to invest in energy is going to lead to a food crisis, which I agree, a food crisis that's going to lead to millions of people starving to death. Um, they make a compelling case. That's not, you know, something to jump up and down for joy about. Uh, it's, it's these poor policy decisions that we've made over the last 
10 or 20 years are going to come back to cause a lot of deprivation and a lot of possible death. It's not going to be pleasant, I think, for people that are in a developing markets where they spend a large portion of their money for food. I'll be talking about that more in the uh, upcoming part two of the forecast videos for 2022 that I'll be putting out the next week. Anyways, Stumberg tweet says, who needs domestic production, aluminum production anyway? So Alcoa to halt aluminum production at a Spanish plant for two years, the latest casualty of soaring energy prices in Europe. So these are jobs going away, high skilled, high paying manufacturing jobs may never come back. If you shut a unit down for two years, are you even going to ever bring it back? I don't know. Does the gas problem get cured in the next two years in, in Europe? I don't know. You know, what's fascinating to me is both the UK and France have tremendous shale gas reservoirs and reserves, um, almost equivalent to what you would see in the US, some of the US basins like the Marcellus, and they just refuse to develop them. You know, a small band and party of environmentalists, activists has been able to stifle the development of these tremendous shale reserves in, in at least France and the UK. I think Poland has very large reserves also. There's tremendous reserves and they're just, they, they won't allow the development of these things. So um, Europe is in big trouble. Um, Europe is in serious decline. Um, I'm not sure it can pull itself out. I do think that these, this energy crisis and the knock-on effects from it are going to put tremendous strain on the EU. The EU is not going to survive this decade. That's a prediction I have, which is a good thing. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm an anti-globalist and the sooner that power returns to the people and taken away from these uh, technocrats in Brussels, uh, I say the better. Uh, so here, uh, here's a rest in peace. We knew this was coming. Uh, yesterday, the 31st, uh, Germany shut three of its last six nuclear plants. Germany has pulled the plug on three of its last six nuclear power plant stations as it moves towards completing its withdrawal from nuclear power as it turns its focus to renewables. This is exactly what's going to, why the EU is not going to survive. I mean, this is like pouring gasoline on yourself and lighting it on fire. I, I, I don't understand this. And you're going to, it doesn't make it more sense when I show you the next slide. The government decided to speed up the phasing out of nuclear power following Japan's Fukushima reactor meltdown in 2011, when an earthquake and tsunami destroyed the coastal plant in the world's worst nuclear disaster since Chernobyl in 1986. Yep. Um, why, why, did, why did the Germans shut it down? Well, they've had, a, they've had an ongoing decades-long anti-nuclear movement there. And uh, I don't know why the people there, I'm not a German, I have some German listeners, maybe you can tell us why so many people there are anti-nuclear. Uh, the German plants, I'm sure, are well-built, well-run. Um, I'm sure the nuclear authority there has tremendous oversight. Why, when you're trying to meet climate goals and instead you're over there cutting down thousand-year forests and digging up with these huge earth-moving machines, dirty, brown, lignite coal to burn in coal plants to try to compensate makes no sense. So I don't get it. Um, but then again, humans are never, you know, are never known to be rational all the time. But this mass psychosis or mass formation against nuclear power, I, I don't get it. So the, uh, the last three nuclear plants, uh, which are named here, uh, they'll be turned off by the end of 2022. So makes no sense to me. I know the German manufacturers are screaming already about the uh, higher prices and eventually manufacturing will go away. The standard of living 
in Europe, well, places like Germany is going to go down over time. Energy is the key to everything. And going from a the most diffu- the most concentrated form of energy. I mean, what's the chance of an earthquake or tsunami happening in Germany to one of these plants? That's my point. It's irrational what's happening. But I'm not German. Uh, Godspeed. I wish them well. I hope it works out. Uh, I don't think it will. So the good news is this is where some of the why I think the EU won't survive the decade. So you have Germany shutting down its nuclear plants. And then you have the EU now issuing the new taxonomy. We got this uh, news. It's kind of the same day this news, both these news items came out, right? Germany shutting down its plants. And in the same breath, the EU is saying that uh, uh, nuclear and certain natural gas fired power plants will be considered green investments. So you can't make it up. I mean, this is why the EU is ridiculous. The whole structure, it's just a bunch of globalist technocrats that went to all of the, you know, right schools in France or wherever in Germany, and they're all sitting in Brussels, you know, eating, you know, eating five star and drinking wine and getting expense accounts and making dumb decisions. I mean, why anybody thinks that this is going to work in the kind of economies, world economy we have with China, India, these emerging markets, uh, this is nuts. And uh, but, you know, this is another positive for nuclear. Uh, the European Union has drawn up its plans to label some natural gas and nuclear energy projects as green investments after a year-long battle between governments, that was the, primarily between France and Germany, over which investments are truly climate-friendly. Of course, France was the big, the big pusher of this because most of their electricity comes from nuclear power. Uh, by restricting the green label to truly climate-friendly projects, the system aims to make those investments more attractive to private capital and stop greenwashing where companies or investors overstate their eco-friendly con- credentials. A draft of the commission's proposal seen by Reuters would label nuclear power plant investments as green if the project has a plan, funds, and a site to safely dispose of radioactive waste. To be deemed green, new nuclear plants must receive construction permits before 2045. So. This more than offsets what's happening in Germany. Uh, I'm hopeful that eventually, as the Germans become poorer and you know go through this energy crisis and see their industry atrophy, uh, maybe they'll get wise and change their view. I don't know. Like I said, if there's any Germans on here that can that are listening that can lend some type of um, you know tell us what's really going on there, but uh, it doesn't make sense to me uh, what they're doing. So. Uh, anyway, that's positive for nuclear power. Uh, nuclear and uranium are another area where we forecast we're going to have tremendous returns. We already have. They should continue um, as we get more and more positive news about more nuclear plants, more use of nuclear power around the world. But we're not seeing any plant, um, mines being built. All right, guys, I think that's it for this week. Uh, like I said, please check out the forecast issue uh, videos that are coming out. I put one out earlier this um, week. Uh, I'll be putting on another one next week. And uh, really looking forward to 2022. A lot of exciting things happening uh, in the newsletter and in the markets. And uh, I hope that you'll come along for the journey. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.